Hello folks, thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. Here we are with episode 63. My very special guest tonight, Charming Disaster. Charming Disaster is a duo from Brooklyn, uh, consists of members Elliot Bisker and Jeff Morris. What you're listening to is a song off of their latest album, Our Lady of Radium, called A Glow About Her. I chose this song because I feel like it's uh, it covers a, a, a good amount of the feel of this new record of theirs. Um, some of their other music is, is different than this. This is, uh, it should be known that the, that this record, Our Lady of Radium, is a, the, uh, is a thematic record. It's a concept album, I guess, if you want to call it that. It's uh, about the, the life and times of uh, famous physicist and scientist Marie Curie. Um, very interesting topic to try to, to tackle, but they did an w- amazing job with it. Um, it, it speaks to their 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 ability as as a group. Um, a lot of their other music from their previous records is in a similar vein, um, but obviously ta- tackled just so many different other topics, and it's um, and it's it's wild and it's unique and it's very interesting. And I encourage you to go check some of it out. At the end of this show, we uh, close out with uh, the song called "Radium Girls" off of their this new record of theirs. So, I'm just going to try to keep this a little short, but um, Charming Disaster is here to discuss the album um, PJ Harvey's Dry, her 1992 debut record, and uh, and it's a challenging one, I I think, Um, but I I couldn't think of better people to have on to try to discuss it than them, Uh, avid PJ Harvey fans and, and super knowledgeable about about her history and, and her music, obviously, the, and, and uh, I just tried to my best to keep up because there's a lot there. There is a lot in that album. Uh, and I dare to say it is actually um, a work of genius. And I don't think I've ever said that about any album that I've covered yet. But this one, this one takes the cake, I think. So... I encourage you, please, folks, to uh, do all the things you do with the internet. Like, share, subscribe, comment, rate, review to our show. It is uh, very helpful for us, and we appreciate it. And um, if you care to share some information or what, it, what, you, what you know or what you think about this album, because it can just, as, it, as we found out doing this show, it can be anything. There's so many different interpretations, I'm sure. So I encourage you to do that. And... Um, I also encourage you to go see Charming Disaster live in concert. They will be uh, having a record release show in New York City at Caveat on March 10th. Uh, doors at 9, shows at 9.30. They are also uh, doing a live stream of that show. So I encourage you to go to their website, www.charmingdisaster.com, to find tickets to that show and um, also for the live stream if you're interested in that, if you can't make it into the city. 
also on their website there you can find everything else by them you can uh, find all of their other music uh, all the merch that they have CDs t-shirts stickers and um, tour they have an upcoming tour um, West Coast dates for now and all of those are detailed there on their websites and uh, obviously you can also get tickets to any of those shows through that that site as well so check that out uh, thank you very much for tuning in and enjoy Thought she would mourn forever Then one night she came to dinner With a flower at her waistline And a glow about her So I've been listening to your new record. It's pretty cool. Actually, I've listened to everything. Uh, hmm. I think most of huh? everything. I've listened to the last two records, I think, and then the new one. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it's pretty cool, interesting music. Um, kind Wait. of along the lines of folk rock like i kind of get this feel of like andrew bird kind of sure that's fair yeah, that's fair yeah that's fair yeah <laughs> i like him yeah, yeah. actually I, I love that uh that duet that he and fiona apple did we we refer to that sometimes left-handed oh, wow. kisses um i'm not familiar with that yeah one. it's like a two-hander like they're kind of talking across each other um it's a cool song and and definitely akin to what we like to do yeah yeah exactly no, that's well. I, I'm not familiar with that song, but I mean, you, your your harmonies, the way that you guys work together, uh, is great. Um, I I really love the last record, and mm-hmm. I thought that it was funny because in the research, I was realizing that you, the new record that you have coming out uh, on the fourth is you actually wrote before the last record, right? Right. Much of it, yeah. I mean, oh, okay, yeah, most of it. Yeah, I mean, we, we wrote we wrote all of it in a short period of time in early 2017. And usually the way that our album writing goes is we accumulate songs over a long period. So um, it's possible there were some songs on the last album that predated Our Lady of Radium that, you know, it took a while to, to accumulate into enough songs to make spells and rituals. Um, mm. But I'd, I'd have to check my notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because right. yeah. well, I, I know that you had a, a residency, which is where the majority of the, that work for uh, Our Lady of Radium yeah. uh, took place. Yes. Um, yeah. So I thought that was funny, though. It's just it's just interesting when you think about it, because most people don't don't know that type of information or won't kind of consider that when they're just listening. Um, and I think that it's a strange record, like um, Spirits, Spells and Rituals is the last record, right? Yeah. So it seems strange to, to hear that. And then to think about, oh wait, this new record that's coming out now, you guys wrote before that. It's it's um, it's kind of a, a massive undertaking. I feel maybe not for you and your and your skill set because it, you seem like you're obviously extremely talented musicians, um, but just that idea of making a concept record seems kind of daunting. Yeah, I mean though. It was, we wrote the songs and t- most of them in 2017 at that, during that residency, we had also recorded them and kind of revisited them more recently. So it's like, we were really kind of- They really- re- Immersed okay. ourselves in the process and the songs kind of, you know, shifted a little bit, they breathed a little bit. We kind of 
connected songs with other songs in yeah the connections didn't happen until more recently and like those songs as jeff said we we wrote them like the the bare bones of them back in Mm. 2017 but they they had a long time to marinate and and the arrangements that we made we made last summer um when we recorded them um, when we wrote them, it was just guitar, ukulele, and two vocals, and all all that other stuff happened right, more right. recently. So yeah. they evolved yeah. from from 2017. Yeah, and I would even say yeah. that our experience making the last album informed our process in recording these oh, songs yeah. and like arranging them and fleshing them out. Like, there, it's not like we had these just in the can for you know four years and and then we we put them out. Like we. These are these are the newest things that we've made. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, well, what was that like? I mean, you're saying that uh, doing the last record, uh, Spells and Rituals, informed the way that you uh, went about recording this record. I know that you recorded this record in your uh, parents' home, right? <laughs> we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did. Um, yeah. We... So how did, yeah, how did how that we... inform that exactly? Yeah, how, just... how, how did that inform that? Well, I don't know. I mean, I said that very confidently. It's true. Well, I just think every time we record, we learn so much. And like, no doubt. Exactly. Yeah. And like, usually, so like our first three records and record number five, which is in the works, um, we've worked mm. with a really talented recording engineer named Don Godwin, who works these days out of um, Tonal Park uh, recording studio in, outside of DC in Maryland. And, you know, we've had access to like, a nice pro studio and we have pulled in our collaborators from our other bands and projects to play other instrumentation and we've gotten to really sit in the like the the, the co-pilot seat as don has engineered stuff we also make don play a lot of things because he's he's a multi-talented musician yeah. we're like oh don like what about horns you've got you've got a couple <laughs> horns like click up horns on everything yeah, why don't you play bass on this one why don't you play drums too yeah yeah oh, yeah. yeah and sometimes it's like us tracking don as he he's doing stuff so we we have learned a lot about like re- recording and the process of it and like what we like to do and how we like to approach stuff by working that way and I think having another album under our belt before we attempted to record something on our own um, made that process a lot better than it would have been an album earlier. Do you think mm, that's yeah, fair, Jeff? Yeah, without a doubt. In the like the inception of the album was just Elia and I in a house, basically isolated from other people, uh, researching and writing and you know figuring it out, working on the song, and then four years later in the process of recording it, it kind of, it was a nice, we knew we wanted to just record it and do everything ourselves and to play all the instruments on it. And it was kind of a return to that kind of being isolated in a house just with us and to work with what we had and what we could do. Mm. And we knew that would kind of also inform both the arrangements and the recording and the quality of it. And we also use that the house itself as part of the kind of recording process, you know, in it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, which, which kind of cool. connected to the content of the album too, um, yeah. because it was really akin to the way Marie and Pierre Curie worked together as a two person team researching and doing this work um, to, to discover to, to produce the chemical element radium, which they they were pretty sure existed in this 
um, this mineral composite called pitch blend, which is a, like a waste product of, of mining. Um, pitch blend is a word that uh, comes from a German word meaning uh, bad luck mineral, because if you find pitch blend, it means like there's no silver there. Like it's like junk rock. And oh, so yeah. they make they made like big piles of it outside of uh, the mines in um, in the Carpathian Mountains. And uh, hundreds of years later, Marie Curie got the Austrian government to send several tons of pitch blend to Paris, where she and Pierre spent years in their laboratory painstakingly working to to get rid of all the stuff that wasn't what they suspected was there, which was radium in the end. Right, kind of refining um, that mineral down mm -hmm. to its, you know, the core of, core being exactly. radium, I suppose, right? Yeah. Exactly. Just and a little, just a little just, bit. Just a tiny bit. Like less, taste less than a gram. It's like, taste right. from tons. <laughs> yeah. Our so... process wasn't so dangerous or, True. or tedious. Yeah, yeah. Or tedious. That was pretty fun. Yeah, that's it was great. fun, but and and that's not how we like originally intended to record it. When we we wrote the songs after the residency True. was done, and we were like, well, now what do we do? We have all these songs. Usually, it takes us a few years to accumulate enough songs to make a record, and now we have like a record's worth of material, and like other stuff that's already kind of in the pipeline. So we we kind of shelved it for for a couple of years. We weren't sure what we wanted to do. It was very different from our other material, mm. and. Um, we we talked about a couple ways of doing it it was so personal to us we weren't sure if we wanted to like bring in a band on it for recording as we sometimes do and um and we were actually planning to record some different songs in 2020 at a studio with collaborators and then the pandemic changed all that and so we got a couple of nice microphones and decided to do it ourselves Hmm. Um, in the end, Don mixed it. Um, so like we did pull, uh, our longtime collaborator yeah. in, in that sense. And we, we mixed it remotely like this in zoom. Oh, um, yeah. yeah uh, wow. there's, it, yeah, it was, it was actually like not that different from sitting in a room. Well, that's true, that. I guess. Yeah. But the, the latency, I would wonder would, if that would have an effect. There's a yeah. little bit of latency, latency, but because you're not yeah. playing at the same time, like, yes, what you hear and like what you see uh, in the shared screen, like what you hear is like a little bit behind the waveform, but right. it's close enough that you can be like, oh, like, that's the spot. Right. Stop. Yeah. That's Stop. Spot yeah. There. yeah. I think it's, oh, okay. I think it's bar 70. Like we need yeah. to like take out the glockenspiel there. You could share the screen too, I guess, too. So you could actually mm -hmm. see like mm -hmm. his, his computer screen, which could be. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what yeah, we're doing. Exactly. There's a tech, there's a thing called audio movers that like give it's pretty low latency um, for, yeah. you know, it's, it's good enough for, for that purpose. So, but yeah, we, and, but like having just two microphones was a really interesting limiting factor as well. Like mm -hmm. all, like everything you hear on that album is, is done with two mics. Oh, wow. Yeah. In a, I would not have known that. In a den, in like most of it in a cozy den and like the, the drums, <laughs> which we, we borrowed the drums from my little brother, who's a fantastic drummer, and he's got some really nice sounding drums. And he, I'm like, hey, can we borrow these drums? He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And they so we up took at them. His house. Yeah, and this is like peak pandemic, and it was like, you know, just leave them there, and I'll grab them. Mm -hmm. um, so we set them up, and you know, we only have two mics, and we're so um, what we did with some of the the tracking of the drums we record like the bass drum independently like by itself we're like okay like we know a, we want like the bass to a drum click to a metronome to a click 
to do this. So we want the bass drum to happen. So we play that and then we knew we wanted like to hear the toms and the snares. So we would like sometimes just like record with the two, uh, the two mics over the toms and snare. And sometimes it was just, just snare, you know, just a mic on the snare. So it, it's like a composite. We like made the, the beats on some of those that are just oh. like a, from different, mm-hmm. you know, different takes, different tracks. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That seems like it's actually a little difficult too than just kind of like playing it all together, right? Oh yeah, it, it was hard. Tricky. It was yeah. hard, and like we weren't, um, we weren't sure whether like the results we were getting were going to be usable because um, right. we were not really experienced at recording drums, especially um, mm. or playing. And so, or playing, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and we're engineering ourselves at the same time that we're yeah. playing, and so you're having to use your like artist brain and your editor brain at the same time and run around running cables and trying to problem solve the weird echo in the room with like you know a throw blanket and a broomstick in the corner with some like tape right. i mean it was like it was pretty right. janky looking um but or like the leaf blowers are going we have to we have to wait oh my god the leaf blowers that was the bane of our are... existence yeah oh god yeah yeah the suburbs have their own challenges yeah (laughs) Yeah, right yeah that's crazy so um i would actually you know i was thinking i I wanted to kind of discuss a little bit of your backgrounds too um Mm -hmm. sorry this is a little difficult with two people it's always it's always a little trickier when you're talking to two people than one but um yeah i i want to kind of know i know you guys met back in 2002 um 12 jeff 12 was it 2012 yeah no your band started in 2012 didn't it that's when we met yes, that's when immediately we met. started the band oh all right all right i'm sorry so um <laughs> that's fine. jeff you used to be in a band uh Coderino. that's right Coderino. Coderino. i'm sorry and so and, and elia you went to go see him you like you didn't know he was playing you didn't know who he was at the time but you showed up and saw him yeah playing. it was my local bar and there was a band playing and i stuck around um i also had a large band at the time um coderino yeah. was like strings and horns and my band bass and drums and my band was also like strings and horns and bass and drums plus um, keyboard plus keyboard right um yeah. and uh but we we had similar projects that we occupied similar positions in as the kind of sole songwriter band leader uh front mm-hmm. person and um i i just really liked jeff's sound and then eventually he came and saw my band and we started a band. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, we should join up. <laughs> yeah, yeah and it became a, a sort of two-person super group. Because um, the, yeah. the problem with large bands is that they're very difficult to, or um, just logistically. In New York City, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. as you were mentioning, New York City it has its challenges. Right, <clears throat> and everyone's chasing some dream, and they're like, you know, have a hand in so many different pots, and it's hard to schedule and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the upside yeah. is you get to work with a lot of talented people, and you get to randomly meet amazing people when you just like go to your local bar because you have nothing to do that night. Um, mm. uh, yeah. So you know, there's pros and cons, but we. God, we that's decided... when you have nothing to do at a night. <laughs> just <laughs> that one like, night. That was like the night. last time you had nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think so of it fondly now. I'm like oh, I I could have just stayed home that night, and I would I would be in, have so much free time. <laughs> so glad I caught you. Yeah. Um, but at that point, Sweet Sue Bread had been around since like 2008 or seven or something, six, something like that. Mm. And uh, and Coterino had been around for a while too. And yeah, 2006. 
Definitely. Yeah, so and many years of playing in these bands. And yeah. so, um, and so, what is your like your musical background like? Wh- which uh, like what? When did you guys start learning how to play music? Jeff, uh, I played guitar as a kid. Um, I went to music school after high school and went to Berkeley College of Music for a year, and that was, I it was a mistake, or I don't know if it was a mistake, but I I got out <laughs> intact. Um, it wasn't the place for me at the time. Um, yeah. I know Berkeley has changed a lot since I've been there, and uh, it's a wonderful place for a lot of people. But for me at the time, it was it was not good. So you weren't um, getting what you wanted out of it, essentially. No, I had very vague kind of romantic ideas about music and what it could be and what it should, you know, and like learning different things. I wanted to learn all the instruments, kind of, and it was it's very at the time it was very much a trade school, which, you know, it's a hard thing to do you know, finding steady work as a musician. So that's really what they were focused on. And uh, I met some good people, but I wound up leaving after a year. And then I just came back to New York eventually and was playing in different bands that I was not the band leader of for a while in loud kind of rock bands. Yeah. And, and then I kind of had enough of that. And I decided in like 2008 to start, or 2007 to start my own project. Didn't think that I would be singing or writing the songs for them or writing the lyrics because, you know, I was more of like a music first, you know, approach to songwriting. And I would like have different ideas that I wanted to try to accomplish with, with you know various instruments and stuff and lyrically i was just kind of like scramble to fill those in and try to make Mm. it work um but that wound up like the sound of the song basically like informed the lyric content for me but it was really music first uh, as opposed to lyrics first Mm -hmm. and uh yeah that's basically my history of music endeavors Well, well so you said you started playing guitar when when did you start playing guitar as a kid Oh, I was probably about 13, 14. Oh, okay. I think it was like it was like a Christmas present when I was yeah. 13. Yeah. And, and no I took lessons later. No other instruments uh, there was as a, a kid? There was a piano around the house at one point. One of the places we lived in had a piano. Um, and I would just mess around on it, but I never took piano lessons. Oh, okay. But I have a piano now, and I really like the piano. Though I'm not very good at it, though I <laughs> do like the piano. Yeah. You're not bad. Um, oh, yeah, hey. <laughs> um, I I did I did take piano lessons as a kid. Um, I'm also not a very good piano player, but uh, that was my introduction to to music. And I have a good ear, and I always like to sing. And there was a lot of music around the house when I was growing up. Um, but I was always kind of on the considered myself on the path on the path of being a writer, and that was like that was my main thing. Um, mm. And music was like kind of a I don't know, it was a side thing. Like I took lessons from probably first grade to fourth grade or something like that. Um, I had a very brief flirtation with the flute, but I did not oh. have a good enough wind to, t- that was like when like they would give you an instrument in school. But every All time right. I played an E flat, I would get lightheaded and have to put my head down between my knees. So the flute really didn't work out. <laughs> um, and then I was kind of a dilettante. I was always writing songs though. That's the thing. Like I was, I never like played an instrument that I could like, be fluent on like piano you know I could like play some pieces but I never learned how to like express myself on the piano or even just like accompany myself on the piano it always it felt formal um to me and like premeditated 
and uh but like i would make up songs like here and there like looking back now i'm like oh like there were like a million red red flags that i was gonna turn out to be a musician like if if they had only known back then um yeah and uh you know i did music camp one summer where i like mm, dilettanted a bit on the guitar and on the piano and i sang in the choir and you know mostly was not very diligent about it um but i did a lot of performance poetry this was the late 90s and um i did a lot of like slam poetry style performance poetry and that was where i got my my sort of stage chops and then you know i got an english degree and i was working in publishing and like my i had some early career stuff that was like not at all music related and then um somebody gave me ukulele and it kind of ruined my life uh ruined really? <laughs> yeah well so i um i i'd had a the sort of performance art country band for like a year in the early 2000s um i wore like a blonde wig and we had some kind of offensive songs that now seems to me in retrospect about like shoplifting and i don't know drug abuse it was like it was a short-lived project that was all like art students and graphic designers and me but when that band broke up i was bereft because i was writing all the songs for that band and i was singing and performing in the front of the band and without a band i had no i had no like vehicle to like support the songwriting and i i was just lost and i i met this man who was a ukulele player and i was sort of telling him my story and he said oh you need a ukulele and he sent me one in the mail. This was the end of 2005. And um, and I started writing songs on it pretty much right away. And Sweet Subret got going, I don't know, hmm. a year or two later. Oh, wow. Um, How weird. So why, did a... he, why did he like want to give you a uke? What, what, what was his like thought that this is the <sighs> instrument you need? Well, he so he played the ukulele and I was like, I am somebody who writes songs, but without the band that just broke up, I have no way to deliver the songs. And he was like, a ukulele mm. is perfect. I think because the learning curve is pretty generous. Like it doesn't take long to go from not playing the ukulele to playing it well enough to like accompany yourself on a song in a simple way. Oh, um, okay. And so it was really empowering just to like, once I had three chords, I was like off and running um, and uh, it's portable it's i have small hands and so like the like physicality of it wasn't too difficult you can take it everywhere um mm. there was also a really vibrant community of ukulele players in new york city at the time this is like 2006 2007 and the ukulele was experiencing an international resurgence and so there are all these opportunities to play and to like meet other ukulele players there was a real community I got to play in the Paris Ukulele Festival in 2008 and 2009 in the New York Ukulele Festival. Like, I am not like a virtuosic ukulele player, but I write good songs and I have a ukulele and that is enough to like be in the ukulele festival circuit, at least at the time. Um, And then eventually a band sort of accrued around me. an old friend of mine from grade school who's a really brilliant violinist and other people accumulated as they do in the sort of New York per- performing musician scene. You, you meet somebody and you're like, oh, you play the you play the piano? I was looking for a keyboard player. Like, want to join my band? <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Jeff, you would do the same thing. It's like you meet somebody. Yeah. Yeah, you play musical saw. Sure. You don't. Yeah, I met the musical saw player who was in the band for a while. She also played uh, accordion. She had a music like a saw strapped to her back and it and an accordion, and she was in the train station. And I went up to her. I was like, "Hi, hey." It's, I hope this isn't weird, but I'm in a band and I'm looking for, I guess, a musical saw player and an accordionist. Would you be interested? Right. And you just, you just had a with us, just like me. Hey, yeah. My, my, but do you, mm-hmm. by chance, like do you play the saw? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how yeah. you do it. Yeah, and she was in the band for years. She was great. She was wow, great. that's great. Yeah. Well, only in New York, I guess. Really, like, that, that can yeah. happen. There's enough so, density. Yeah, it's, it's good yep. for that. Oh yeah, I mean, there's so many musicians, I'm sure. So um, I I asked you on the show to uh, talk about a record that was important to you, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a little strange that to have two people that chose the same record. How did you go about choosing this record <laughs> co- uh, collectively? Well, it's uh, a good question. I think this this record for for both of us. That's like, I think it's important to both of us. We and it it applies to our work together, I think, in a way that like, you know, I could have chosen other albums that are, you know, and Elliot, I'm sure I could have chosen other albums, but this was like firmly in the middle of both of our kind of, yeah. I think sphere of importance to us. Is, yeah, you know, and I feel like we'd even talked about it recently as like yeah. being an important album to both of us. I mean, we yeah. like, I will say like, we do a lot of consensus based decision-making as a two person mm-hmm. operation. And um, sure. in an interview format, we like to answer questions together. So we, we wanted to pick one album that like was meaningful to both of us. Um, yeah. We considered Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin as well. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. um, okay. yeah. Uh, but but dry. I mean, PJ. Have, I almost wrote Jeff to say like, okay, which album are we gonna choose, and why is it a PJ Harvey album? No, you did. You did write me that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Interesting. But yeah. So so then, how how did how did the choice get made exactly? I mean, obviously, you were you kind of had your heart set on on PJ Harvey, which is uh, an understandable choice, I think. I mean, and, uh, she's a great mm-hmm. artist. Uh, obviously, a great songwriter obviously uh similar kind of themes in the music uh these dark themes kind of like uh you know weird dark uh i don't mythological, know yeah, mythological yeah feminist storytelling right. elliptical yeah. yeah i mean we we jeff had actually suggested rid of me originally um but um dry there's something so primal about it and mm. um it was not the first PJ Harvey album that I got really into. I think it was Nor like, I. The, yeah. like I was listening to "Rid of Me" and uh, and to "Bring You My Love." I had a cassette tape. This is in the days of cassette tapes. I had a cassette tape with "Rid of Me" on one side and "To Bring You My Love" on the other side. But "To Bring You My Love" um, was a little too long, and so the the last mm. song, the dancer would cut off, and then you'd you'd have to put the whole thing on the next side. Oh, Kids, okay. if you're listening, this is what it was like back in the day. But I would listen to that album on repeat, like under my hood, like in astronomy class, like junior year of high school, like with my little earbuds in so nobody could see. Um, it was so, so, so why dry, Jeff? Why did, why did we end up with dry? 
I I don't know. I mean, it's such a good album. I think it's the first album and it's so exciting when it came out, when it was, um, I mean, I, I hadn't heard, like my first experience with PJ Harvey was, I was in a record store in New York. And I heard the four track demos playing and I was like, what the hell is this? This is so good. And I know a lot of those are from Rid of Me and unreleased stuff, but I was, I became like, I was like, oh, I, I mean, I bought that album and then I was like listening to a lot of her other stuff and driving the first one. It's like, I don't know. It's, we could, we could have picked rid of me, but like drives, like, especially the, the musically, like the, the different mm-hmm. overlaying of tempos and the cool yes. odd, odd time signatures, yes. all that stuff mixed in with the, the cool subject matter. And the, it's like a really great um, connection of, you know, songwriting and musicality, and it's really minimal too. There's not a lot it's of super minimal orchestration. You know, oh, it's yeah. just a trio, and mm-hmm. it's so good. And, yeah, I yeah, remember you saying, Jeff, why. that like when you heard Dry, you were like, you didn't realize you could do that on a record. Yeah, or something. It's like, yeah. oh, you can do that. You know, it, it's funny. At the time, I was making music that was kind of similar and in a similar vein, um, but I wasn't listening really to much music. So I was kind of like out of it. And I'm like, this is out there. This is like people, you can buy a record of this. It's like a, buy a major <laughs> label or whatever it was. And I was so impressed. And I was also a big M, uh, Captain Beefheart fan. And I was reading that like she's really into Beefheart. Yeah, she's like, like a I big like, Beefheart. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. Hmm. And I was just so psyched. But I don't know. I think, I think the musicality and the lyrics together, and the fact that it's it was the first thing out of the gate was just so inspiring. I remember. I remember oh, so okay. clearly the first time I heard it. Um, I was visiting a friend. I was I was looking at colleges, and I was staying with a friend's older brother. He was gonna like show me around the college, um, mm-hmm. and he was like, you know, he's a few years older. He's like kind of cool, and. Um, you know, maybe he was like on the radio station or something at the college. And in the, I remember in his dorm room, he was like, oh, you've got to hear this. And he put on dry. And I was like, you know, you hear the, the beginning of, oh, my lover. And it just yeah. like punches mm-hmm. you in the face. And you're like, what? What was that? Like, what is that? And, you know, it's like, like the drums don't even kick in until like the end of that, that whole first yeah. phrase. It's just like yeah, halfway her through. The they don't come in until yeah. halfway through. So just her voice, cool. what she does with her voice is so incredible. It's so untempered. It's so unmodulated mm. and not, not untempered. Like she's controlling it, but she's not like trying to make it sound pretty or nice. Like it's, right. it's like, the raw. Yeah. it's yeah. raw and like she's yelping and um playful uh right yeah she's and, so and exposed also, yeah right right like, and, and i and i get all of that so what, what were you listening to like around this time before you finally became exposed to, to kind of the world of pj harvey uh probably i was listening to the fall and captain beefheart a lot and king crimson those were like okay. big bands that i was really into at the time yeah um i was listening to a lot of led zeppelin um a lot of other like 
you know, Tori Amos and Bjork and Liz Fair and the mm. Breeders. I mean, I, I was I was very breeders. much in that that kind of world of like Pixies. badass yeah. lady rockers. I didn't get into the Pixies till much later, but the Breeders Sorry. were like on the radar. No, no, no. I mean, I I like <laughs> Pixies. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, yeah, sure. As, as they were an as they were an influence on on PJ Harvey as well. So I mean, it would make sense mm -hmm. that eventually you get yeah. there. You know. Yep. There's something about like the power that she expresses and mm. like that her the music like her sound expresses that is so inspiring. Um and you know like I wanted to I've I've I always wanted to be PJ Harvey when I grew up. Like I still want to be PJ Harvey when I grow up. Um Sure. Yeah. I mean she's yeah. she's amazing. I mean I gotta I have to admit that I, I've never really been a very big fan of hers. Uh I actually mm -hmm. did cover that uh, album rid of me uh, on the show mm -hmm. with uh, with a local mm -hmm. uh, woman artist uh, Hillary Jones who mm -hmm. is amazing and that was actually my first real experience getting into the album because mm -hmm. I obviously dig into this album like I listen to it re repeatedly and then do a lot of research and find out more about it uh, whatever mm -hmm. I can which this album is I have to admit it's very difficult um, hmm. it's it's uh, and it's an enigma for the most part I mean mm -hmm. there's no good um uh history like documented yeah. history about it really and and even pj harvey and then the other guys in the band never really spoke about it very thoroughly um it's mm -hmm. they actually seemed she's a, and she's very private like she doesn't she doesn't offer a lot in the way of information and so whatever she does it's like very precious right yeah um so we're going to get into the record. Um, there's one thing I found, though. I actually uh, found out some information about her their first gig, which was mm -hmm. disastrous. Uh, what oh. was your first gig like? <laughs> That's oh. a good question. What was our first gig? Well, our first gig together or our first gig separately? Oh, as, I mean together. Uh, as Charming Disaster. As Charming Disaster. Yeah. Um, I think the first time we played in front of an audience was mm -hmm. at the Backroom Freddy's. Isn't it? As part of, like... The ukulele night. A ukulele night. Yeah, probably night. Yeah, once again, the ukulele community comes through. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, well, there's the ukulele in our project, so like we can be the, the thing at ukulele night. Hmm. Um, well, I mean, our first songs that we were like ready to play were um, "Murderer," which is about two people who've murdered somebody and you know don't really know what to do. Um, ghost, story, ghost story, which is about a living woman in love with a ghost. I mean, like this, like it, it was weird stuff. I don't sure. remember how people responded to it. Yeah. So much. Yeah. Yeah. Even in our second gig too, or whatever that was, our first, like our own gig when we were mm -hmm. headlining ourselves. Right. At, I mean, uh, we were we we were both kind of like experienced performers by that point, so it wasn't right. like yeah. disastrous like my first solo gig was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it didn't describe like what their level was like as far as like talent was concerned mm -hmm. as far as i could tell from from what, what what i read they they played their set fine like there wasn't like anything technical that kind of uh -huh. went wrong it's just they went over so poorly they just like like there was like 50 people mm -hmm. there and they all left and wow. like, the people that own the club <laughs> wow. basically said stop playing we'll still pay you to stop <laughs> wow so pretty pretty tragic i guess that's for the... rough 
Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. But to, so I to mean, persevere after that, it seems very, very strange. But right. luckily they did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Right. I, I get the sense she has a lot of inner strength. She's a tough lady. Um, <laughs> she also, like, she grew up in the countryside of, of England. Uh, I forget the, mm-hmm. the town that she was in, but she was a, essentially like a farmer. Yeah, and she and she yeah. still is very connected to like the English countryside and like white like her album White Chalk uh, that describes like the the hills of her, um, you know the the land where she where she's from. Okay. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and there's all this like English like British Isles folklore that she weaves in to a lot yeah. of her songwriting, mm. which is really neat. Interesting. So um, now here's here's an interesting thing that I'm gonna to try a, attempt tonight. Um, now, I, I, you know, we discussed how kind of like enigmatic this record is. It's very, very cryptic, but I think there's a theme to it. Mm-hmm. I think this record is, is actually like has a theme to it. So how do you feel I, about that? I think there's a theme to it or like a few, a handful of themes, but there's, there's definitely, um, uh, preoccupations that run through it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, do you want us to talk more about what those might be? Or do you have a theory you'd like to <laughs> no, share? No, <laughs> I, think, I think we're going to, we'll, we'll go ahead and get into it because I think as every, as we go through each song, it, it might kind of try to, we might, might be able to make some of those connections and kind of like see mm-hmm. the through line a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cool. But, uh, so yeah, so the first song is Oh My Lover. My lover don't you know it's so powerful mm-hmm. yeah what like, a way to open up a record yeah, yeah like just the use voice of and bass. so drama and her yeah. voice like what she's like what she's able to do with her voice like how she's vocalizing is just yeah. incredible yeah she yeah. certainly sounds like kind of uh just not, not stressed i don't feel like that's the right word but just uh uh, pleading, entreating, and like unhinged, yeah. intense, unhinged. Yeah, yeah. Those are all good. She's definitely Passionate. feeling, feeling what she's saying. Passionate. Yeah. I think that that's probably Passionate. the best way yeah. to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she and she's addressing this lover. Like it's not clear who this lover is, or um, like what gender they are. Even like it's. Um, it's really mysterious and open-ended. And then like with the, when the, the, where the lyrics go is also really enigmatic, you know, um, mm. what, like what's that color forming around your eyes? Like, am I like, it's like, what, like, what is it? What is that color? What does it mean? Like, are you like, is it like a, like a black eye? Is it like a, right. like a thickness? Like, mm. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. All of these things are, are very intriguing. Um, let me see. I actually have the lyrics over here off of her website. It's a great resource for her lyrics if you if you need them. <laughs> Good to um, know. I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, so my, my perspective of it is that it sounds like the perspective of a jilted lover, perhaps, you know, mm-hmm. and um, one that is willing to compromise the relationship just to satisfy their lover. 
you know, like um, like some of the words there is the, um, oh, my lover, don't you know it's all right? You can love her and love me at the same time. So kind of like offering them mm-hmm. to go mm-hmm. outside of the relationship just to let them right. be happy. You know, so it's kind of, it's almost, I don't know, I can't even think yeah, of the words a, to describe this. There's a desperation to it. That's good desperation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're going to yeah. be my person to go to for for good for good adjectives. <laughs> like, I can't think great of, with words. <laughs> I can't think of them for any for some reason right now. Um, but so it's it's sacrificial even, right? Sure, mm-hmm. I think we can agree yeah. on that. So uh, what what mm-hmm. would you say uh, you had to sacrifice for your art? <laughs> That's a dark secret. <laughs> I mean, well, I could I could say that we. You know, when Ellie and I started playing together and getting more and more, we got busier and busier and we got more into writing and spending time and focusing our energies on on our on Charming Disaster Project. Our other projects kind of lost, well, for me, they lost steam and they kind of, Charming Disaster eclipsed Coterino. Yes. And, right. and yes, so and that was same, like... And the same for Sweet Soup Red. It receded yeah. in the wake of this. And that and that has been a sacrifice for sure yeah. for, for each of us. Yeah. Right. So those bands do not exist anymore. I mean, like, you know, because I, I saw that they kind of had their own discographies. You actually have a lot of work behind them. But mm-hmm. uh, but now Charming Disaster is the, the main gig. Yeah, it started out yeah. as a side project, but uh, it, it became the main the main thing. I I kind of ended the Sweet Soup as a band in 2016 after the release of our fourth album. Um, and uh, and I, I occasionally still release stuff under Sweet Soup like solo material, and sometimes I'll, I'll bring in other folks. But as far as like where the like the main resources go, it's it's this project now. Mm. Okay, so um, the next song, Oh Stella. So, yeah, the yeah. chorus, the chorus of that song's in five. What's it? Five four or something like that. It's so, and the intro of it, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's just so off kilter and interesting, like a, and engaging. Like a hitch right away. in the step. Yeah, exactly. Huh. And you know, and I think I think this one feels religious. You know, and Stella, mm. Stella Marie, like it's like. Uh, you know, a name for the Virgin Mary. And we've right. seen in PJ Harvey's work, her, her body of work, like biblical themes run through much of her work. And we'll we'll see more Bible stuff later in this album as well. I mean, it's, it's a prayer, yeah. it's an invocation, but it's so personal. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, like, so that brings up an interesting point because in some of the research that I did, I realized that, um, there's i don't think that there's any definitive explanations for any of these songs and and i think that um pj harvey would probably even say herself that like none of this is autobiographical you know it's just like it's so impersonal in that sense where like you know a lot of writers will use their own experiences in in their music right but she is kind of just 
building all of these different characters from whatever inspiration she has, whether it be biblical mm-hmm. or, or, you know, just yes. whatever kind of yes. fictional story she reads her. I don't know where she gets her information from really exactly. Right. And it's, and it's eclectic. Like she's obviously pulling from, from different sources. Um, right. And yeah, like to the extent that she's discussed it, that I've seen, she's like always like pretty fierce in her, um, you know, saying that it's it, her work is her work and her life may or may not be in her work, but like, that's kind of beside the point. She's a, she's a crafter of tales and this is her medium Mm -hmm. and um whether her own personal history enters in into it or not is kind of irrelevant right yeah and um and so you already kind of mentioned something that i kind of that i had figured out about this that the stella marie that she sings about is uh, essentially the virgin mary yeah Yeah. she she refers to as her as her guiding light Right. Yeah, and the and the angels, you know, gonna woo me now. Like, there's she, she is a goddess, and there's other, and like that's not the only goddess you're gonna find on this record, also. Oh right. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but but so with the with the Virgin Mary kind of like being her her guiding light, I was curious. Um, like you may not be religious folks, and I don't intend this in a religious way at all. But uh, but what, what do you see as your own individual or collective guiding light? Hmm. Hmm obsessional drive world world domination world domination <laughs> yeah. uh yeah i mean i think i think making there like there's storytelling and there's making connection and when hmm. like what when what we're doing is working i think they kind of go together um in that we're connecting with people through the those stories that we tell through our music and that's mm. very important to me and um mm-hmm. has been you know one of the one of the things that's most rewarding in this project um but also jeff if it were just you and me in a room making songs like that would also be all right yeah it'd be all right uh yeah to add to that and, and not just the the connection there's the connection part which is key and then there's the not just storytelling but it's also art just i think art making too and storytelling is definitely within that um those two things combined you know presenting that out there to the world and connecting with the things that we've kind of you know metabolized and put together i think that Hmm. that is a guiding principle okay cool yeah, I, I mean, and, you know, with you having said that, I actually was going to get to this, like, later on, but, like, how, how do you feel that goes over? I mean, like, um, like the stories that you tell in your in your music is not um, not so much, like, in that autobiographical sense that I mentioned, that it doesn't seem like it's your personal stories, obviously. You, you, you much like PJ Harvey and, like, Nick Cave, you tell these stories about these characters that are doing these things, and some of them mm-hmm. not-so-couth things. Um, mm-hmm. so, so how does that, do you observe like where people kind of like sit with it or, or how it sits with them? Well, I, I think, I mean, that audience is, it's like, it's as old as it's any kind of folktale or mythology. There's like right. people who are, you know, the trouble that people get into makes good storytelling, you know, and, you know, whether it's a murder ballad from, you know, the late 1800s 
that has filtered its way into a country tune or like some epic battle that you know that is that is told by troubadours or whatever mm. it's that engaging dynamic that happens when there's like friction and there's opposing forces and that's a big thing about how we wanted to write music is about that you know tell stories from different points of view often it's two points of view and you know about how people get in trouble basically because that makes an interesting story and i don't think it's limited to any genre of music or anything like that right, it's like right. it is within all all musics and all all myths and folktales yeah, yeah. yeah i guess uh, you know what i think it was is that i i forgot about your music i forgot about like the music that is like being that is the the, the background of these words and the story that's being mm -hmm. told because uh, the music is actually extremely exciting and uh invigorating like i can imagine that it goes over pretty well with a with the dancing crowd you know like <laughs> it gives them something to do like something to like in a way a physical way to react to the music you know sure as opposed to sitting like i do like with headphones on listening to a song and just kind of hearing what's being said you know um it's it, like, frankly, I, I think I analyze it more than I should. Like, mm -hmm. m most people don't do that. So, I think that was kind of the problem with like where where I'm just like, why? Like, how do how do people deal with this? You know, it's. Like, <laughs> well, uh, it's true. I mean, not, not everybody has has as cerebral an approach. Um, but that said, a lot of people are sitting still listening to our our songs, sure. and I think a lot of the time it is more of like an immersive experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Like right. like we've sort of created a, a little mini universe in a song and they get to live in that universe for the for the length of the song. And that's mm. yeah. that's kind of a cool mm -hmm. thing to be able to provide. Yeah. Yeah. And people bring their own their own stuff to what we're presenting. So like it's been more than once after we played Ghost Story at a show where someone's like, Oh, that happened to me. You know, the song about a woman falling in love with a ghost and we we often people respond in a way that you know they're like oh this this thing happened to me or i have a friend who you know or, sees ghosts or, sometimes. I, or, or, I, or i lost my I lost, beloved yeah. husband and like and i oh, feel yeah. his presence and that song was really comforting to me because it spoke to my experience yeah. like you know we're we're not uh we're, we're touching things that are right. you know deep for people even if we didn't put it there exactly right. that's yeah well that's pretty that's pretty powerful that's pretty amazing and that's very lucky for you guys to be able to do something like that and have it reach people in that in those ways yeah so. i mean often our songs are, are pretty narrative there's a story to it and you can kind of follow along as opposed to like this ostella which is it's like a bunch of imagery and more evocative and you know you add your own it, it's like it's just asking you to add your own meaning to it you know, hmm. uh, we, we, we do have songs like that as well, which are more kind of oblique than straightforward right. story songs. But, but I don't know. All right, cool. Um, let's move on to the next song. Yeah. Uh, dress.
great. I love this song. Every time I listen to this song, I go back to the beginning and I listen to it again because it's so good. Yeah. Like all, the, uh, like the polyrhythm stuff at the beginning where mm -hmm. you've got that like three rhythm with that, mm -hmm. you know, that kick that snare beat. Hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That the snare hit, and then and then like the rest comes in and it becomes the hemiola that goes all the way through it, and then it comes out and the choruses and like the bass starts doing it at the end, and the whole time you're like, what is happening in that song? Like what? Like the beat keeps like happening where you don't expect it. Like it keeps you off balance. Um, it's so right. powerful. I mean, that's yeah. before you even get into what she's talking about, which is also pretty powerful. Right. Yeah. I think that one of the things that's interesting about PJ when she takes on these themes of like women's experiences in the world is that she's like, she's really like, as Jeff said, oblique. She's um, evocative. Like she's not, she, as a songwriter, she's not saying, you know, here, here is my thesis statement it's it's dumb to try to change yourself for a man don't do it like she's like this is what it feels like to do this and um you know the the images and the 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 um what's the word i want jeff <laughs> the the language yeah. that she's the language that she's using the illusions the the yeah. images that she's using are they're not straightforward she's getting at it at angles and right. um, and I think that makes yeah. it hit harder. Um, I will add that I think PJ is a great role model, not only for women and young women, but anybody who wants to, um, you know, rock out. really rock out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. as an artist. Yeah. 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 Right. Continually. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. But, um, but absolutely. It's it's she her her role modeling of that has been hugely mm. impactful. Um, yeah, my life. I think I say that only because, um, you know, there's always been the, the, the like women have been marginal, marginalized in the music industry. You know, there's always been so few of them that uh, that have had, you know, not, not that have had an impact, but at least have had um, the ability to to succeed. Right. So I think that well, that's where... Sure. As in every field, the women who do succeed right. get erased by history and given bad deals and 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 all that um yes it, it's it's an old tale as tale as old as time as they say <laughs> uh-huh yeah so um so back to the song dress all right so uh we've already discussed kind of like what the content of the song is but um i kind of wanted to just focus on the the aspect of the dress itself um mm -hmm. because you both seem to be elaborate dressers for especially when you perform oh thank you um thank you. What what is your most elaborate dress or suit that you wear? The most elaborate suit. The most elaborate. Um, it's is it the feathers? It might be the feathers. Yeah, I think so. The white feathers. The white with feathers. Yeah, and your and your suit with the with the feathers with the with mm -hmm. the hot glue. We we we've had a few feather ensembles. Mm. Um, yeah. Involving hot glue and yeah. feathers. And, and where where do these costumes come from? We don't really consider them costumes. Um, I, I didn't want to use I that mean, word. I just. <laughs> I mean, they're stage wear. Um, I I do a lot of thrifting, and I will confess that when I'm going through the racks of dresses at my favorite thrift shop, I often sing to myself, "Per you, pretty thing, my man says, but I want you beautiful dresses." 
over and over. That's like my mantra when I'm dress shopping. Yeah, and sometimes you know you you don't realize that you're singing that out loud when you're in the shop. What? I've heard you sing that out loud. Yeah, it's in the shop. But yes, our, um, thrifting, and like often, if one of us has like get something that the other one can like work off of, like Elliot got this awesome pink. Tell them about the pink dress. Oh, God, like, well, so I, I like to affect a sort of mm, Victorian silhouette, meaning kind of like a tight bodice up top, maybe with some sleeves and then a poofier skirt thing. Mm. And in this project, I almost always wear a dress. Um, I have other, I, I'm in another band where I never wear a dress. Um, so like part of this project is like, I wear a dress, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but it's usually black. And there was this dress in a sh in a thrift shop window that it had the silhouette, but it was hot pink, like bubble gum, cotton mm. candy, mm. like pink, pink. And um, and I kept walking by it because it was like on my route to the subway. And eventually, I broke down and I bought it. And then Jeff had to get a suit in the same color. Right. You did confide in me. Should I get it? Like, you know, that if you text me, should I get the thing? I'm always like, yes, get the thing. I know, that's why I text you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I got a, a cotton candy pink suit. Very cheap suit. I think that's the very name cheap. of the company. <laughs> very cheap suits.com. Does not breathe that suit. <laughs> yeah, but it's it works well for that. Oh, yeah, so, 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 so you do yeah. suffer for your for your look as well. Oh, yes, that's right. We I all say the most for, elaborate yeah. the most elaborate costume we, we had was the... Uh, the wolf masks and the, like oh that's suits. true that was pretty we cool. played this gig it was um like a valhalla viking feast and um yeah, as you do we, like you do and uh we we have these 3d masks you can make out of cardboard like you can buy mm -hmm. the pattern on etsy and like it's like a lot of little triangles and stuff and you you cut mm -hmm. them all out and you trace them on a cardboard and then you glue it all together oh look jeff has a just jeff is um, oh, there you demonstrating. go. Demonstrating. Yeah. Like so that. it took us hours to build two of these out of um, pizza box cardboard, mind you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, that was very, that was elaborate. Um, and yeah. we, and did then we, we ever use them for anything else? I don't know. Okay. Um, but then we, we had like old fake, fake fur. fur for coats, coats that yeah. we cut into these weird we cut we cut the sleeves off so they tunics. were like long yeah. furry vests <laughs> that was fun yeah that was a special occasion oh and there was like mm -hmm. i mean there, there's the occasional like halloween costume that we mm. gin up for a, a special show um sure. yeah yeah but it's not that different than our normal it's not that different just wow. a little so, extra so do you do you have to decide like what outfit it's going to be for every different night or it's like if you're going on tour do you do you have a specific like look that you're going to go for we have like a rotation usually and yeah. we coordinate so yeah I'd be like what, what do you want to wear tonight oh let's do the whites okay oh let's do yeah. the we'll do the red and blue red when and you're blue. red and i'm blue yeah that's yeah. like the like like 3d the glasses 3D. look yeah mm -hmm. yeah oh it's helpful but, that you're in that studio yeah no, yeah, i could access a lot everything. of props so yeah, we we do think about clothes a lot, and um, we we enjoy that aspect of of the, yeah. the performance mm. ritual. It sounds fun. It sounds fun to like be able to kind of put these things on and kind of like it, it kind of adds to it. Kind of makes a show for the most part, just even doing that. 
Yeah, it's really important. And are you, are you guys actors at all by space. chance? Do you, do you act as well, or is this kind of the, the most theatrical things that you do? If somebody is listening to this and they want to cast us in a thing, <laughs> we are definitely up for it. Yes. Um, yeah. That said, we are not actors. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're hams, but not actors. Hams, okay. but not actors. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we should move on to the next song, um, right. Victory. Oh, yeah. Let's hear that one. Great. Um, so here we have a metaphor of a ship that uh, that she'll call victory. So um, it's not graphic in its detail, but one could argue that there is certainly a sexual connotation to the lyrics. Um, how do you guys choose topics to to write about? Um, this is this seems like a t a two part question because I I, I want to yeah. talk a little more about the song. Oh, of course you can before yeah. we get into um, well. So for the longest time, I thought this was a song about the winged victory, the statue, um, which is like the headless, armless winged victory statue. It's like in the Louvre and it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It's like huge. I've seen it. it's like at the top of the stairs and it's this like nude female torso with these huge wings. And for mm -hmm. a long time, I thought that this song was about that statue. Um, okay. But uh which which i don't think it is but i it's not that far off because what you have in this song is a woman who is she's the figurehead on the prow of a ship she's like set high winged you know there's all this talk of seas and sailing and storms and boats mm -hmm. um but like but the figurehead she is like she's immobile she's immobilized and like that's mm. an interesting mm -hmm. image to pick uh, as your point of view yeah, yeah, that's true. I because I, I didn't see it that way. I actually was kind of considering them, the speaker, to be kind of like the captain of the ship. They're uh, the person that is directing it, kind of giving the the order, in a way. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's funny. It's funny that we can obviously, it's... and this goes with everybody. Everybody determines and like kind of sees this record and every song individually in, in their own different ways. Mm hmm. Well, That's and I don't think the two are necessarily mutually exclusive either. Like she, she could do sure. both sides of that story. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all depends on how you want to see it as the as the listener, right? Because uh, everyone has the right to kind of develop their own take and, right. like, you know, kind of process it in the, whichever way they they want to. And there's also the car element, like the hood ornament of a car, mm -hmm. like, mm. um, and that aspect, and like how do those all tie together but it, it just works i hadn't figured out the hood ornament but of course that makes perfect yeah. sense yeah, like on the rolls like a, on the front of the rolls royce front of a rolls royce mm -hmm. hmm. yeah well and like the, the god in my car like if you think about um working for the man which is a song on um to bring you my love like that's like she's sort of the agent of god driving her car like there's there's mm -hmm. like 
interesting connections to be made yeah. between between those songs. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, no, you asked. I'm sure there is. You Go asked ahead. how we pick topics for our songs. Yeah. Um. Sometimes, I mean, there's. I would say there's, there's a range of ways, and yeah, there's um, a variety. <laughs> sometimes, um, one of us thinks, "Oh, it would be cool to have a song about X," or even like it would be very us to have a song about X. For instance, right. bats. We should have a song about bats. That seems like a charming disaster. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah. Now we have a song about bats. Or Jess says, "Oh, we we should have a song about poisonous plants." Because yeah. like we keep like talking about poisonous yeah. plants, we should like do. And I got this poisonous, poisonous plant book. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. I'm really into All it. Right. Let's, All right, let's we're do gonna that. like yeah. we're gonna make a song about poisonous plants. So sometimes it's stuff like that, and sometimes <laughs> it's um, mythological stories that interest us that we, mm -hmm. you know, come across our radar. We have, oh, we have Osiris and Isis. We're like, oh, like we should have an Osiris and Isis song. Because sometimes it's like stories that involve two characters, um, especially if it's like a male and a female character um, mm. that are yeah. kind of archetypes. We'll we'll be like, oh, we should we should do a song mm -hmm. about that. And then we go to the, the library or the bookstore or whatever. We're like, okay, like get out our ancient Egyptian mythology book. We're gonna take out this, um, you know, Norse mythology book. We, we do a lot of like mythology book based songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you do a lot of research <laughs> for your, for your music. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So actually I mean, speaking of which, how did you come, uh, how did you stumble across the idea to do the, the uh, Marie Curie themed record good question um we we come across uh lauren redness's uh lauren redness is a graphic artist and yeah graphic artist storyteller and she put this book out called, called radioactive it's gorgeous it's, graphic novel it's really so beautiful. beautifully done it's really artistically done the way she did the the prints and the the artwork and it is all it's just really expressive and and really interesting and it's the life and story of Marie Curie and her work and the implications of her work. And it kind of, it tells her own personal history, but then it telescopes out to, you know, Chernobyl, it goes out to Fushima. It, it kind of like touches all these different places. So it's just kind of. And it goes back in time too. Back to in the, time, right. The, historical, sort of the folklore of the mountains folklore. where the, the stuff was mined. And it touches on all these subjects. So we we were we um, we were very excited about this book. We knew we were going to go on a artist residency, and we chose that as we knew we wanted to kind of tell song tell stories that expanded beyond the limits of one song. We wanted a song cycle, so that is the kind of inception of that idea. Yeah, we, we looked around for a little while because we, we, we knew yeah. before we sort of figured out that the Curie book was was like the Curie story was was our was going to be our theme. Um, but we, we wanted to find something that we could write a lot of songs about that were all kind of set in the same universe rather yeah. than each song being its own kind of separate world. Um, and so we, we considered a couple other things. We considered Wagner's ring cycle for a hot minute. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and then that seemed like not someone not else already writing. did a song cycle about that. <laughs> <laughs> turns out, um, yeah, it turns out. Um, and but this book, like, they're just there's so many juicy things in it. Like her mm -hmm. life was full of drama and romance and 
tragedy and scandal and there were mm. duels and there was ancient mythology and there were seances like there's like all the stuff we like was like mm -hmm. in this story and we could we could kind of zoom in on any number of different points and get a, a unique song experience from it that would be linked to all the others oh wow okay that's cool yeah i i did a little bit of research in marie curie based on your record mm -hmm. like i figured I should probably learn a little bit about this because I don't really know much. <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it's it's pretty intriguing. Yeah, very wild. All right. Well, we should probably move on. Um, okay. The next song is "Happy and Bleeding." a while took a little while to get to that sliding part well that, that doesn't really capture that little brief clip doesn't really capture the whole song really yeah you need to get to like the driving chorus with like the toms and the yeah yeah and, and like a lot of their songs are like that you know i mean and, and unfortunately you know i kind of can't play the whole thing but um sure. just to get to get a little idea of it that's it's also a testament to the really one of the cool i think the things that both elia and i really like about pj harvey in this album in particular is the dynamics of it mm -hmm. it's like it's so minimal there's three people and you can do so much with space and, and silence and minimal instrumentation and then have these big kind of like crashing parts come in it's just like right. It's like the rain just comes down, mm -hmm. and you're like in the middle of a song, and you can kind of pull back. And she does that so well. Yeah, mm. and she takes her like she takes her time getting to them those takes moments too. It's something we talk about a lot. Is like how yeah. what what we can accomplish with what we've got, meaning like two people and the instruments that we can play. And obviously, yeah. like in a recording scenario, we can layer a lot more, and we do. But um, but we're always talking about how to get uh, more out of our live performance. Um, mm -hmm. We do. We we play. So when we play live, we're both singing. Jeff's playing guitar. I'm playing ukulele, and we're both playing foot percussion. So Jeff has a kick drum suitcase that he plays with one foot, and I've got a hi hat that I play with one foot while we're playing and singing. So it's sort of like a one man band, but like two people. Yeah. Um, so, so what are you and... going to start doing with the other foot? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> exactly. Um, mostly, I just stand on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, a little, little bit of tapping. Not even, I guess, because it's it's difficult to kind of keep a beat with one foot. Like you know, if, that, yeah. if you're doing a hi hat with one, you kind of we're can't working move. on it. Yeah. I tell you, there was a moment where I had like a like a little shaker like strapped to one knee, and I was like beating my knees together, <laughs> and um, I was really trying, but it was it was too hard to so do. So cool, the, I love yeah. that. What do you, what do you do? The symbols between the knees, right? So then you just kind of crash your knees together. <laughs> It's hard. It's hard on the body. I tell you what, like, and you have to have exactly the right shoes. Like, I, I have this like mm -hmm. very expensive pair of um of Prada low Prada boots that are like just the right height of heel. 
I, mm. I, th I, I thrifted a pair for like nothing. And then I, I saw another pair of them at like an antique shop. And I was like, ah, this, I'm going to splurge on these because that heel height, I know it's just right for the hi-hat. It's, it's equipment. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I texted Jeff. I was like, should I get these? Yes, you should. <laughs> yes. Always. It's equipment. It's gear. Yeah. It's yeah. gear. That's funny. Gear. So let's see. So happy and bleeding. Uh, we did talk a little bit about this one. Um, so there's a couple of different ways this could be taken, and I think from what we've learned, probably many ways that this could be taken. Mm -hmm. um, but if we look at it, so if we look at it as that the album as a concept album, then this could be a point where the speaker has finally had sex, and whether it's love or passion, um, but now bleeds from either their loss of virginity or menstruation, um, or or you know uh, you know relief in, in non-pregnancy, you know. Um, I've always kind of interpreted it as relief and non-pregnancy myself, mm -hmm. um, just because I've always found that the most relatable, honestly, um, and mm -hmm. because uh, that that happy and bleeding, and also like you never get to hear about people being happy about bleeding. Like it's always like right. it's always like oh the curse, like the that's the worst. But it's like there like there's a lot of women who are pretty happy to bleed, you know for different reasons i mean the other right. thing is like it could be a miscarriage which is not a happy thing right. unless like you really don't want to you know right um right. but like but there are dropped off the blue yeah yeah that's the thing it's like there's yeah. all this like fruit fecundity kind of imagery like yes. you know the, and then right. the like the like litany the like fig fruit flower myself inside out for you and like and again like who is the you is it this sort of toxic lover counterpart um mm. and and yeah like and are we are we supposed to be happy also i mean i i think we are <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh so so given the juxtaposition of happiness through something dark such as bleeding um mm. i can make a kind of connection to the subject of your new record marie curie and the bitter sweetness of her discovery of radium sure so mm. um there's not really a question there. It's kind of uh, the connection between some of the work you've done and like kind of like w some of what this song does. Yeah, it's it's ambiguous, right? Like it's we don't have a um, a conclusion, especially to our record. Right. Like the final the final track on Our Lady of Radium is the title track, and the title track I think is the most ambiguous of all of them um, because it's the track where we talk about pandora and um prometheus where it's like is this is this thing this discovery is it a gift to humankind or is it a curse and right. it's really it's really unclear like you can really read it both ways mm -hmm. um and and yeah. both of those things can be true at the same time right yeah yeah it's perplexing because i mean you know it, it does so good so much good but then at the same time it is like a radioactive hazardous material which is deadly right i mean um sure. from what i did read i mean marie curie herself is actually like in entombed in like lead right because she's her, she... her body is essentially yes. radioactive yes and yeah. her notes as and well her and the... too. Mm -hmm. yeah it's just like that's incredibly like bizarre i mean she obviously you know lived her her, her craft her, her 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 passion but yeah well end. she was by all accounts she was like especially hardy because the amount of exposure that she had um 
the effects that, I mean, she died at 66, like that's, that's not very old, but, um, but she was in like tolerably good health for much longer than you would have thought. Mm, yeah. Considering right. the, you know, the uh, symptoms the exposure. Of, of exposure to radiation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's terrifying. It's, it's horrible. Mm -hmm. Well, I just wanted to make that connection just cause uh, I just yeah. thought it was, was fun. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next song, Sheila a gig. Which is an amazing one. Also one of my favorites. Yeah. I have a lot of favorites on this album though. I'm gonna say that again. <laughs> it again. There's a lot to like, yeah. To show you over and over. Look at these my childbearing hips. Look at these my ruby red ruby lips. Look at these my work strong arms and you've got to see my bottle full of charm. I lay it all your feet you turn around and say back to me he said she great so good so good even <laughs> so before you like dig around and find out what a sheelana gig is right yeah just that kind of like uh, that that curiosity of like what is she even talking about? Yeah, you know, but it's such a such a great and powerful song. Mm -hmm. And like, and she obviously is not fussed about whether you already know what a Sheila a gig is. She is like, you right, can look it up. You it. can, yeah. yep. She doesn't explain it. There's not like liner notes where she's like, a Sheila a gig is like a huge rock that looks like a woman's vulva, and like it was like an ancient goddess worship Utility thing. Symbol. Yeah fertility right. symbol no like she's like it's like this is part of my universe of references along with gonna wash that man right out of my hair from south pacific like she's so omnivorous yep. in what she's putting in to mm. the songs that she's making it that is so inspirational to us um mm. that kind of high culture low culture you know culturally um you know polyglot cross pollinate mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah it's strange i mean like because i didn't i didn't do i didn't research that until you know just recently um mm -hmm. but hearing the song i just kind of assumed like maybe this is just one of those weird things that a singer does where they just kind of like make up this term or make Say up some these things. words it's just right, right. and then it's more than anything Totally. Yeah, and then like ever daily. after, like, you know, like, oh, yeah, like a Sheila in a gig. That's like an exhibitionist woman, like in that PJ Harvey song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. like this, that song, the song, it hits so close to home. Um, you know, she's taking up so much space in this song. And she's like, and she's also, she's like presenting herself to the person she's addressing to the you of the song. And she's getting this ugly response that she's like, you know, look at these, like, look at all my charms and my beauties, like, here I am. And then the response mm -hmm. is you're dirty, you're dirty, and you're an yep. exhibitionist, like you're, you take up too much space, you, your body is dirty. Um, like, it, it's, it's really, it, it's really impactful. Um, mm. And she's so um, uncowed by it. Right, right. But it's like she's simultaneously being slut shamed and also told mm -hmm. to shut up and be smaller and like uh, without explicitly putting it in those words. Right. Right. You know, while, yeah, while... Put money, put money in your idle hole. That's pretty. Yeah. Explicit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty. Also, yeah. Also, you're a whore. Like yep. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Let's see. So, um, yeah. See, so like I was saying before, we we were talking about your the response that you get from from your performances, like from your your audiences, uh, and this is kind of like where I was going at getting at it with this song, mm-hmm. only because the the response in this song is obviously so harsh, and you know as much as I would you know, hope that that would have never happened to you. And then considering, you know, like the, like the first, like the, the first show of PJ Harvey being so, so uh, disastrous, I was wondering how your, your responses were, especially for your first, uh, for first performances. Oh, we've been so lucky. Our audiences are so nice. We, we seem to draw a collection of very lovely weirdos and um, and also people who seem like they're normal people, but are like weirdos inside, which is like a special right. kind of uh, person to be where like you maybe don't feel seen as like somebody who appreciates things that are you know, oddities right. or out of the ordinary. Um, yeah, I mean, people have like, we've been in, we've played shows where people weren't really paying attention you know, we'll yeah. play like a big, we've played big breweries and like where there's lots of activity, people are drinking and they're talking with their friends and we're playing, you know, but, you but know, then, always like, the, at those the, shows, there's the one person yeah. who's like, After I'm the a show, history major. Yeah. I'm, a cla- yeah. I'm a classics major. I'm a classics like, major. I, I loved your song about, about Celine and, and Demian. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, like we, we've been, we've been very fortunate to like find yeah. our people and, you know, and we're, think we're kind of um lovable weirdos i hope and yeah sure you know we're very polite um yeah harmless as well you know i mean the harmlessness (laughs) is 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 uh probably works to your benefit because uh, we almost never actually murder anybody yeah we don't (laughs) yell at people we don't scream and spit you know we're pretty well well healed on stage well, and like, and we actually like talking to people, you know, like we really mm. like meeting mm-hmm. the people after we play and talking to folks and, you know, it, yeah. it means a lot to us to, to like matter to them. Yeah. Sure. There was that show in York, York, Pennsylvania, when everyone was just kind of like mm-hmm. stone faced. Yeah. And the whole show were like, they hate this. They hate this. Just get through they it. Hate they hate show. this. Uh, but yeah. it turned out they were just stoic farmers. They, yeah. they bought a lot They're of just... merch yeah That's... german stock or something yeah yeah they, very... no no expression on their faces but, uh, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they bought yeah. t-shirts they must have yeah, liked we, it we love york pennsylvania yeah yeah how strange that's 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 a tough audience you know it is i mean i think you know jeff we have had some tough shows over the years you and we we've always like tried to learn from them how to like yeah. engage better and but like our toughest shows weren't necessarily our earliest like I remember when we played that weird venue, Friends and Lovers, is that what it was called? And it was oh, just yeah. like, it was just like a bad room. Like the setup was bad. People were talking. Like we just, it wasn't a good fit for us. And I remember after it's being like, what can so we, yeah. yeah, it was like, what can we do? Like, how can we like mitigate right. when like the circumstances are not in our favor? And we have like come up with a lot of strategies for that over the years that yeah. are often effective, not a hundred percent, but like we've definitely mm-hmm. gotten better at like, making people turn toward us um yeah and yeah right oh cool yeah you've learned how to wrangle wrangle the people the right way somewhat somewhat Somewhat. i mean i you know i don't want to jinx it or anything but (laughs) 
um but there's def- there have definitely been shows where we're like oh my god club coming jeff that was like a watershed moment for us nope that was work. that was work <laughs> nobody was listening there's a little stage like we were doing this very awkward banter in between the songs and like nobody was listening to it and um and that was that was um a very big yeah. learning experience that's true that was mm-hmm. it that you never go back there again. That's the learning experience. Well, probably not. Probably not. It's that isn't a good fit for us that place. But we yeah. we we have right. learned since to deal with places like that a lot better. Right. Yeah. Mm. So, um, moving on to the next song, uh, the next couple of songs actually, I'm kind. I've kind of gone blank. Um, Joe was the next song. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. no, we skipped one. We we missed hair. Oh. Hair. Oh, hair. hair. Next. I'm sorry. That was my mistake. Yeah. Hair. So good. Yeah. So hair is like the. Are you gonna play a bit? Are you gonna? Sure. Okay. Yeah, love this one in five. Yeah. Mm, She's got a lot of different ways of doing it in five. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but I I love these odd time signatures a lot. And uh, mm-hmm. um, and here we have another Bible song. We have this is right. yeah. Samson, Samson and Delilah. Yeah, pretty cut and dry, huh? I mean, it's it doesn't seem like it's kind of like. Uh, melding of anything it seems like it's kind of a straightforward interpretation of of that story kind of but there are a couple of moments that stick out to me um yeah. one is when she says she's talking about the hair and she says oh would that it were mine and and mm. you're not sure if she means the beautiful hair or the strength that the hair gives there's oh. that that moment like would that it were mine um you know and just coming from pj as it does and like the kind of strength that comes through in her music like and you know this is this is a very small moment of casual misogyny that i experienced as a young person but it it has stuck with me ever since uh a friend's father who was a writer uh read one of my poems and he praised it as having what he considered a kind of masculine rhythm, masculine rhythm, as if that's a thing that could be gendered. But I think mm. what he meant was that like, it had a kind of assertive or powerful rhythm and he didn't expect that from a woman or a young woman as I was. Right. Yeah. Um, but like, I tell you that dart lodged deep in my brain. And like, I I remember the moment with crystal clarity and, and that, occurs to me when I hear that line of this song. Um, oh, okay. Would that it were mine. Um, but then she says, my hairy strength, my man. So, you know, she she also has an appreciation in sure, that sense. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. Um, so, yeah, so I'm not very familiar with the story of Samson Delilah. I, I, Delilah. I, I did read up on it a little bit and just kind of like, you know, see where she was getting at with this song a little bit. Um, but so now if we take the, you know, pertaining to the theme, possible theme of this album, um, 
this song could be seen as uh, the jilted lover conspiring to plot revenge on their lover. Um, based on what I know of your work, you seem pretty on board with playing with dark premises, including revenge. So theoretically, how would you seek revenge? Hmm. Hmm. Seek revenge in real life or in song form? I'll leave What's that the difference? What to is you? the difference? <laughs> well, I mean, you already you already describe some revenge in some of your songs, don't you? I, I'm is pretty sure revenge? I've heard. Yeah, there's a revenge moment. There's some of it there. Too. Yeah. I feel like some of those things might have been entirely unprovoked, and we just did it out of, I don't know, ennui or some sort of existential malaise. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, you're talking about the what he enacted upon someone else the murders i was talking about the murders oh. <laughs> we're not supposed to talk what's this this is gonna be nay on the earners may yeah nay. <laughs> <laughs> well one of one of our favorite songs to perform just because it's so dramatic and fun is deep in the high which is there's definitely a vengeful moment there where oh yeah that's a good one yeah, it's it's fun because we've now kind of you know when we perform it live, I play the the dashing trapeze artist who's speaking off stage to his lover, the tattooed lady. Unbeknownst and I play, to me, yes, I I am the the uh, betrayed wife, the snake charmer, and uh, and the the song. There's a big revenge scene where. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's... we kind of we we play it out live, and we back in the days of pre-COVID, we would like wander through the audience, and I would be addressing someone in the audience as my um, one-legged lover, and Elia would be kind of just fuming in the background, playing the music and like sort of cursing at Jeff in the microphone out of character. Playing too yeah. loud so that no one can hear me, that kind of thing. Doing all those things. And then then the culmination uh, then, of the song is where we're both back upstage and we sing um the uh the man the, what is the song? The, the dashing the daring, daring young, young man, man on the flying, on the trapeze, flying trapeze, which is just a little bit of like an old uh out of copyright song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh and the culmination is uh the we're looking at an imaginary trapeze and then there's a fall. And like, as our eyes track the imaginary trapeze artist falling, Jeff stomps on the, the kick drum and everybody in the audience goes, ooh, sometimes they clap. Um, and that's right. that's the revenge of the the snake charmer on the tattoo. Oh, snake charmer on the, the trapeze. trapeze artist. Yeah. Oh, cool. And so uh, what album is that song on? That is off so of Love, Crime and Other Trouble, our first album. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to research that one because I'm sure I probably heard it. I just, there was a lot of music that I've put into my brain over this short There's period of time. There's, There's a lot. There's a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Digesting, digesting your catalog as well as this album. It's been a lot. Yeah. You've lot. done a lot of work. You've done a lot, a lot, a lot of going on. A lot going on in here. Um, <laughs> so, like, like I was saying before, um, the next two songs, Joe and Plants and Rags no idea what's happening here do you have anything to put towards these songs or any any kind of information about it i've never really had much to say about joe Mm -hmm. but plants and rags 
is one of my all-time favorite PJ Harvey songs, even though I have okay. no idea what she's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so beautiful though the way that it layers and like the strings the way that they mm, like i'm, oh, I'm yeah. actually i've always been really curious about whether those strings were composed that way or whether they were improvised because mm. there's such like the the musicality of them seems so um experimental like there's all these like noises that are being made scrapings yeah. and harmonics yeah. and like mm. not just like bowing and plucking like you would expect to find yeah um May I play a little section of that and let me try to sure. find some of that that you're yeah. talking about? Yeah. Yeah, it's later on in the song, I think you get more of it. That, that's kind of it, huh? Yeah, you yeah, nailed it. That's it. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was good timing. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so I, I get what you're, what you're talking about. I wonder, because I actually try to listen to the demos version of this album, oh. and, and that ties into the whole possibility of a theme, because I wanted to listen to the demos because I wanted to know, like, well... You know where were these songs at? Like where you know mm -hmm. how were these kind mm -hmm. of constructed? And also, I was curious if the um, um, sequence was going to be the same, and it is. Mm -hmm. So obviously, these songs playing in the way that they play was important enough that even in the demoing stage, she felt that they needed to be laid out that way. Um, I don't mm -hmm. remember those strings in the demo version, but mm -hmm. but those. The demos are these songs. Like, there's very little to no change as far as the lyrics are yeah. concerned, the structure, you know, the compositions themselves. It's all essentially the same. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. stripped down. I think it's Rob Ellis, the drummer, who arranged those those string parts, at least. Oh, yeah? Uh, he's. I think he's done a, a, the other... What's the other cool string arrangement? It's on... Uh, rid of me. Oh, uh, anyway. uh, yeah, yes, a man size sextet. That's it, man size. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, which has think, a similar like dissonant quality yeah. to it. It's so cool. I love it, and it's such yeah. a like a bright kind of like skippy along song, you know. Plants and, and rags. Yeah, plants and it's, rags. And it's like, so it's so joyous, and there's this mm -hmm. like kind of gorgeous chaoticness to the string sounds that like yeah. complements the and like deepens the the joy of it and you know like when you add a little bit of coffee to like sweets you know like you add a little bit of bitterness to like mm -hmm. make the the sweet flavor get a little richer mm. that's sort mm -hmm. of how those strings function to me yeah totally and those melodic jumps in her voice like da -da 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 -da. Well, it's like, you know, it's almost like a, you know, as like a classical piano student, it's like an, it's like an, an intermediate classical piano student, you know, it, it sort <laughs> of reads like, um, like variations on a theme also, like mm -hmm. each time around is kind of the same with like more 
more diverging from from mm -hmm. the root notes, like more of those like jumps that she's doing vocally, mm -hmm. more like weird trills even that she's making. Yeah. Like mm. each time around gets more complex, more complicated until the, the end of it. Like there's like the song goes on after the last round of lyrics for some time. And like all you have left is the instrumentation, which is unusual for PJ. Like there's not a lot of songs where there's like a big instrumental mm -hmm. part. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, see, I, I didn't, I didn't grasp any of this stuff. And in addition to the lyrics, like kind of not really making any sense whatsoever. And I was curious because, I mean, I, I know that you are very knowledgeable. You obviously are very studious, and you, uh, you know these songs obviously very well. Um, I didn't know if there was something that was like in the lyrics that pertained to some story that I just was not familiar with. You got me. <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay. Your guess, your guess is as good as mine. No trip um, to the underworld. I think it's always, it's always safe. Yeah, ease yourself into yeah. a body bag. You know, yeah, I think it's sun just... Sun don't shine down here. It's good. Yeah, in shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's a you decent theory, Jeff. You fed me fine Jeff. food. Give me fine food. You gave food. me shiny things. Give yeah, maybe shiny. it is like a Hades and Persephone song. Mm -hmm. I never thought about that, but mm. that could be. Yeah, see, I'm not familiar with any of that. I'm not, I can't, I can't speak to any of that. Oh. But um, but I was looking. I was trying. I was trying to find something <laughs> like even it's Joe. It's a working like, theory. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Even Joe. I didn't know if it pertained to like uh, like Joseph, like Mary's Joseph, like. But sure. then there's so much weird like uh, darkness in that, like the lining up of the of the soldiers. Was was it what was it? I can't remember the lyrics now. Mm. Well, uh, you know what's interesting is she uses names a lot in her songs, and sometimes the names repeat. Like she's got a couple of Billy songs, for instance. And I've always been yeah, curious yeah. if she considers the Billy to be the same Billy in "Come On Billy" mm -hmm. and uh, "Taught" off of Dance Hall at Last Point. Like, is oh. it the same Billy? And she also has on "Is This Desire." She's got a Joe Joseph. Um, sure. In uh, the title track, so that, that happens, you know, you know, with Lou Reed, he's got his gems, Jimmy's. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, Paul Westerberg, Wrestler Replacements, has got his uh, his Bobbies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it yeah. happens. I guess they, they kind of like latch on to this name that murder is kind ballad. of a pers personification of just this yeah. type of person. Yeah, the murder yeah. ballads have a Willie. It's always uh -huh. there's like a Willie uh -huh. and like Nancy. Oh, like the traditional and... Willie murder ballads. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I just wonder, like, if, if, like, in PJ's mind, it's, like, a continuous, mm -hmm. if it's, like, oh, like, last time we saw right. Billy, like, he was, like, you know, <laughs> not coming come home. On. Yeah. Come on, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, now, like, now he's come. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you're going to learn a lot of mythology when someone uses uh, cautionary tales or spells and rituals as their favorite, most influential album, and you're going to have to go through that and study mm -hmm. that and i think i think you're gonna learn a lot when you i do think that. i will and then yeah. it's bound to happen at some time i can't wait i like to think that our music is a gateway drug to like some really nerdy reading oh it, it is mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know the the the, the pro that's the problem with uh analyzing music though is that you know i know that most of the people that i speak to and most of the people that i know that are musicians they don't think about lyrics. They just, you know, uh, absorb the music as as for what it is, what it is, like a face value type of thing. And um, and I think that's true. You know, I mean, I, I like to I like to feel music. Um, this show has led me to that place where now I analyze and I try to, mm -hmm. you know, find out what this is all about, where it comes from, and why. 
and that uh, kind of ruins it a little bit, kind of. Mm. But it's intriguing. It's intriguing to know, like, to kind of get a better idea of, like, well, where is this person at this place in this time in their life that they're writing about right. this specific thing? And mm. what is it about this thing that's so interesting? So. I mean, I think that, like, however much analysis you do, like, you're never going to totally get to the heart of the mystery, though. I mean, like, that's right. that's the that's the thing about music is, like, it, it makes you feel things. I mean, that that's why I don't do performance poetry anymore, honestly. Like, I mean, that's a perfectly fine way to deliver lyrics, but it's not a song, and a song makes you feel things. Right. Yeah, I mean, words will make you feel things too, but how do you deal yeah. with that type of interaction? Because people are solely latching on to what you say as opposed to whatever the feel of the music is. So they, they can latch on to yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They can latch on where they where they want to latch on to. Um, right. But you know, it's just like I think that the music can like get under the edges of like your conscious mind, like mm -hmm. you know, right. into the. Your, your animal brain. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's move on. I think we should probably just do the last song, Water. Because um, okay. Fountain is another weird one, too. Like, mm -hmm. there, there seems to be a little bit more uh, of a purpose in that song. Um, but boiling it down, it just seems like it's essentially about redemption. Yeah, it's like a change. It's like this sort of transformation point where she's yeah. like washed clean and mm -hmm. and and then and it's called Fountain, but the song is really about the wind, uh, like on, uh, uh, like and she's doing these very mm -hmm. octave jumps on that one too. On wait, I wait for wind. Yeah, that like that like very characteristically PJ like last consonant Noble. like kind of yeah, vocalized yeah. to bring yeah. you my love we mm -hmm. we do that on some of our songs and like we always think of her every time we do it at least i do <laughs> i assume you do yeah. as well <laughs> yeah I do. um but so the last song water I hear that pretty clearly, that kick drum, that additional kick. Yeah. slow-moving intro working its way into that mm -hmm. yeah it's like a lizard walking that long held note over the over the five beat pattern so like you get a little lost in it yeah so, and the, the cool. first i just noted like the first note starts on the five on the like oh, last that's... beat oh yeah how so weird cool. on that like one like there's that bass drum is all to itself. Yeah, that's cool. Right, really cool. 
Yeah, cool. all the rhythmic stuff on this album is so interesting, and like yeah. it, it's like a it's like an education in itself, just like listening closely to the to the rhythm stuff. Mm -hmm. This song, you know, like this album is called Dry, and she has the song called Dry, but it shows up on Rhythm. It's, yeah. it's not on this album. Like this album doesn't have a title track, and mm. um, and this song is water it's the opposite of dry it's like right. and it's the fulfillment of like the thing that has been longed for or missing like the like the whole album the song seems to say has been a drought up until now like right. beauty mm -hmm. notwithstanding um, yeah yeah I, I i think that you're you that is very fitting in in the idea of a, of a theme because um so i'm not positive what this song is about um, but it sounds like it relates to some of the religious themes that have kind of been throughout the record. Um, but it seems like, especially if we consider Fountain, the song just prior, and how I was saying, like, it essentially boils down to this idea of redemption, then ending this album with a song called Water mm -hmm. uh, seems to kind of be a, a, a good progression. Um, water, what do we do with water? It's, you know, we, we clean with it, we clean, clean ourselves. It's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, even a spiritual bath, like a, like a, um, you know, what do they call that? I, I'm not religious at all. <laughs> baptism? Uh, baptism. Mikvah. Yes. Mik oh, mikvah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like, there, there's all these different things that you can do with it. And, and like you were saying, it's the opposite of dry. It's, and and mm -hmm. even if you think about the album art, you know, you got this weird smeared image on the front cover, which, uh, I mean, essentially looks like a Xerox copy to me. And then on the back she's in a tub you know mm -hmm. and it's just yeah. like it's so strange i mean i think that i think that this is very so so thought out that i just don't even understand there's so much more here that like i can't even grasp yeah That's it's good. like and and like you can keep on coming back to this album for years and years yeah. and you still will not a hundred percent ever know what's going on and so if you're the kind of person who feels like understanding it too much ruins the record for you this is a good record because like you'll never get exactly. to the bottom of it yeah yeah i mean i don't think i'm, I'm at the bottom of any record i've liked but yes <laughs> That's you're, good. you're right that and it obviously is a testament that you know this is something that came out in 1992 and you both have been listening to this you know mm -hmm. since you know i'm not sure how regularly yeah. but yeah i'm sure it comes up every now and then and you you still yeah, enjoy yeah. it so it's still in the regular rotation for sure yep yeah so um yeah speaking of regular rotation uh your new record's coming out on the fourth on, on friday yeah. yeah yeah so soon and so then soon. you have um your record release party coming up that's right, on March yes. 10th in New York City, uh, which will also be live streamed because we have a lot of folks we know would like to be there uh, in person and can't. So um, between COVID and geographical distance, it seemed like a good idea. Sure, um, sure. I mean, it seems like it's uh, it's becoming a more kind of, um, kind of like something that you need to do or need to be considering uh, because mm. because of the pandemic and because of COVID, like, so many more people are just doing things more interactively these days. I mean, I think that the idea of an, an, uh, an online show is not kind of scoffed at anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There are different types of online show. There's like, you know, the, the broadcasting of what we're playing on stage and just us playing 
And then there's like doing a live stream as like just that and not really a live, not a live performance except for just the streaming audience, which mm -hmm. is what we done a lot of over this COVID time. A lot, a lot of. Yeah. And that's yeah. a different beast altogether than mm -hmm. just like broadcasting a live show. Yeah, right. more intimate, more interactive. Um, yeah. and, and really fun. Like we've really had a, a lot of fun with, with doing those and yeah. kind of getting we sit right there. Them. That's mm -hmm. where we sit. I know. Okay. You should turn on the green screen. <laughs> so, and so, um, as far as that show is concerned and especially the, the interactive aspect of it, I mean, uh, without giving anything away, is there, you know, what, what can we uh, come to expect from, from something like that? Is there going to be something special or something unique that you're kind of there is, but it's a, there mm -hmm. it's is, a secret. but it's a secret. Okay. Secret, even to us. Even to us. <laughs> yeah. All right. And are you playing the whole album straight through? Yeah. Or, or yeah, we're going to, we're going to play the whole album. Yeah. And there, oh. there are some songs that we have been playing out that are from the album, but there are others that we have basically never played out. Um, so uh, like a glow about her. I don't think we've ever played that for people. Yeah. Yeah, we're oh, gonna have yeah. to figure out how to how that's done. How are we gonna to, do that? Yeah, we're gonna it's figure gonna it out. It's gonna be great. Yeah, we we we've been mm -hmm. practicing. Yeah, and are you gonna have any guests, <laughs> or is it just gonna be you two as you as you it's, normally perform? It's just gonna be us two. We sometimes have guests yeah. for bigger shows um, and other releases. Uh, we've had guests, but um, this album was created with just the two of us in a small, you know, in a sort of intimate environment, and we we wanted to have the album release reflect that as well. Mm. Yeah. So it'll be okay. the two of us on stage doing as much as we can with okay. just the two of us. It's going to be special. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be a glockenspiel. Yes. So that, don't I, don't, I don't think I'm giving too much away if I say <laughs> there will be a there will be a glockenspiel at some yeah. point. Don't yeah. worry. You'll be and, well uh, warned before it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. So the finest uh, instrument. Oh, you're you're mesmerizing me, mesmerizing me now, Jeff. With that, that <laughs> me? I'm literally getting hypnotized. Good, um, it's working. <laughs> well, so uh, and the record itself, you're actually uh, you're pressing this one on the vinyl. We are. That's we pressed. have. It's pressed. It's beautiful. We did it on a translucent green vinyl with a black splatter, mm. and it's just so pretty, and it kind of yeah. resembles an atom exploding. Um, uh -huh. It's uh, oh Jeff Jeff is going to show you the, the podcast listeners won't see it but uh, you can I know, see it. But... Well, we, we do do this on video as well, so you actually can we they can see oh. it if they want. Um, cool. So you got your copies already. Yes. yes. Oh great, that's cool. Yeah. I, very fortunate. I mean, did did you have any problems because the, there was we backups. we just we started the process yeah. very far in advance because we knew and uh, we. Yeah. We worked with Furnace Record Pressing in Alexandria, Virginia, and I mean, when did we we started this process with them in like June or something? So yeah, um, yeah, and we just now, got and them we, relatively yeah, we just got soon. them like last month. Awesome, that's yeah. great, great. So um, it's available through Bandcamp, and that means considering you have them now, uh, it's not a pre-order anymore. You can actually just order the record. And, it's a pre-order it. until Friday. It's still oh, technically, it's a pre-order until Friday, but um, we, but confidentially we have actually started shipping them because um, we have them. And so, uh, yeah, if you, if people yeah. order them on Bandcamp, we will ship them out. 
Um, right. We've got we've also got CDs, um, and then uh, starting on Friday, the album will be available on all the major digital platforms as well: Apple Music and mm -hmm. Amazon and Spotify and all the rest. Right. Yeah. And right. by the way, the vinyl cover glows in the dark. It does glow in the dark. Ooh, the label. Oh, nice. That's a cool. Not feature. the vinyl itself, but uh... no, but the the jacket. <laughs> yeah, that's jacket. cool. That's a little, kind of like little uh, paying homage to to the radium. And the, the radium right. girls. Indeed. Is, right. is is it toxic? Or are we going to get sick? I mean, no. I wouldn't like. I wouldn't like I wouldn't eat, eat it. it. I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't it. like, you know, grind it up and snort it. But um, you know, yeah. you do you. Yeah. No, of but, course yeah. not. It looks great though. Anyway. Wow, that's that's uh, exception, exceptional artwork on that. Cool. Oh yeah. Susan Saz is the artist who did the album cover art. Um, she's a friend of ours and she's really talented. And she also made cover art for our single release, I Am a Librarian, which was our first release in 2020 um, during the pandemic. We, we put out a few singles during the, mm. during the pandemic and uh, that was one of them. And her, her artwork is really lovely for that as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, it looks great. Um, so aside from the record coming out, uh, you're going to be on tour. We right? are. We're going to be on Ooh, tour. Yeah. Uh, we're <laughs> going out to the West Coast um, in just a few weeks now. So we're we're starting in Seattle and we're uh, on March 24th, and we're going to be going through Portland, Cottage Grove, Oregon, uh, Chico, California, Berkeley, Pismo Beach, Los Angeles. Cool. Um, so going all the way from Seattle to LA with a all bunch of stops spots. in between. All the hot spots. Nice, nice. And, um, um, and then we have some other tour dates coming up um, in the spring uh, sure. after that. And what would be the best way for people to, to find out about those dates as they get, uh, as they get uh, confirmed? Armingdisaster.com slash shows is the best That's way. That's right. That is the best way. Um, and you can also find shows um, on our Facebook page, um, we're announcing the them things. on all the things. So, You're on but all yeah, the medias. We're yeah. on all the medias, but charmingdisaster.com will get you to all of the infos yeah. that you That's need. Yeah, that's the best place to, to wind up, really. Awesome. Did we forget anything? Is there anything else that you guys need to mention, or, or is that, that pretty much everything I, for now? I think that's pretty much everything. Um, yeah. It's been so nice chatting with you about PJ yeah. and about our record. We really appreciate the opportunity to really oh. dig into the yeah. stuff with you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Me too. I mean, you know, I, 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 on, I love doing these. I mean, I love getting into these as, as difficult as sometimes they may be because they're just so complex or, or there's so mm -hmm. much in there. But, uh, but it was a great experience getting to know PJ a little bit better and, and you as well and your music. And it's really great. And I'm cool. looking forward to hearing more about you in the future. Thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really cool to like reinvestigate this PJ album and, there are a couple of things I'm like, oh yeah, I want to explore that a little bit more. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I can't. You could really like embrace the minimalism on certain things and not be afraid of it's. It's been really cool to like rethink about it and think at you know and how we are currently as artists and just how that how that applies going forward. Yeah, right. and also like it's so nice to talk about somebody else's work in this way. Like right yeah. now, like we love to talk about ourselves, of course. Like that's that's great, but like it's there's something like it makes you feel a spirit of generosity to like really focus on somebody else's mm -hmm. creative output. Yeah. And so it was very nice to like be in this space and really be thinking about 
um, this great album. Well, that's very nice of you to say it. Thank you. I mean, uh, I'm I'm glad that you you know pulled away something from it very very positive for yourselves. That's that's uh, that means a lot to me too. Excellent. You're doing great work yeah. out there. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Jeff. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, I'll let you go. Uh, it's been great speaking with you, and you best Likewise. of luck on your show and tour and, and everything Thank else. Thank you. All right, have a great night. Thanks. All right, good too. night. Thanks. Make a generous wage, breaking the dawn of the nuclear age. Final Envision is a psychic static production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robbins of One Two Three Astronaut. Some